It's Thursday, January the 18th. I'm Laura Lee and here's what's happening in our world. I'm going to start today by looking at an underlining doctrine that is swept into our schools, our media, and even our churches. It's not often called by name, so people accept this doctrine without even knowing its source or its history. We're going to be talking about Marxism. Let me start by saying this. Socialism is not cool. It's trendy. It's hip. We've been bombarded with its propaganda. We've been guilted into believing Christians have to accept it because it's kind. But it isn't kind, and it isn't cool. The idea that production and distribution should be controlled by the community as a whole for the greater good is an idea that people seem to be accepting really easily. But where exactly did this idea come from? Have other countries tried this? And what do you mean when you say the greater good? These are questions we should be asking, but instead we're just accepting this doctrine without knowing what it is that we're accepting. This doctrine is coming to us through two names, the social justice movement and Antifa. The social justice movement has taken over our school systems. It's even made its way into our churches. Many churches are more involved with the social justice movements than they are with evangelizing the lost. In fact, a lot of churches have completely abandoned evangelism altogether and just fully embrace the social justice movement. And the Antifa movement, that's growing. This group is really the second stage of socialism, where the social justice movement tries to shame people into the Marxist doctrine. The Antifa movement tries to physically force the doctrine. The Antifa movement is extremely violent, but it is really a more accurate picture of what Marxism looks like. Both social justice movements and the Antifa movement, they have the same base. They frown on anyone who's achieved anything. Winners are losers. And they really, they need people to be oppressed in order to accept Marxism. Even though we live in the most free society on earth, they have to convince us we're oppressed. Even though in reality, these movements are the only ones oppressing people. They're shutting down free speech. They're demanding a groupthink mentality. Those who choose to think or speak a different view than these groups, they're shut down and publicly destroyed. In order for Marxism to work, you have to sacrifice freedom and personal choice. If you're living in a capitalist country, you are very blessed. You live in a free society, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be free forever. If we give our society away to the socialists, the communists, we're not gonna be free anymore. Let's just take a look at the history of Marxism. Marxism is a doctrine that was created by a man named Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in the 19th century. Karl Marx became a fan of GWF Hegel while he was in university, and he joined a group called the Young Hegelins. This is a group that would be very similar to the social justice groups of today. After university, he became a journalist and he began writing. That's when he met Frederick, and the two men wrote the Communist Manifesto. At this time, revolutions were starting up all across Europe. His writing was seen as so dangerous, he was kicked out of Germany. And then he was kicked out of France, and then he was kicked out of Belgium. He eventually moved to London. Karl was known for being dirty and rude, and he didn't like taking baths or getting haircuts. His main teachings, this is what he taught. Factory owners, they were evil and the power and the money for the factories should be going to the workers and not the owners. This was actually kind of interesting because his father was a factory owner 
and the money he received from the factory, that's what he used to write his books. So, ironically, the book Communist Manifesto would not have been written without capitalist money. Karl Marx's philosophy it uses history, economics, and politics. So for history, for his theory to work, people have to only see the negative parts of history. They have to see themselves as a victim. Either they have to demand justice for themselves as a victim, or they have to be willing to give up their own personal success as a way of paying for the crimes of their ancestors. We can see this idea in Canada and the U.S. right now. Look at all the historical figures that were once seen as great men, and now they're only viewed based on anything negative they did. Statues are being torn down. Schools are being renamed. And anyone who disagrees with this, you're marked as a racist. And then there's the economic policy. This is it in a nutshell. Laborers are most important. The laborer is most important. No one should own personal property. You just have to share everything. Everyone should receive pay equally. Our payments are not based on hard work or education or success. The greatest engineer should be paid the same amount as the kid bagging your groceries. According to Marxism, we should work just for fun. We should see ourselves as great and important, and no one job is more important than the next. In a Marxist world, we go to work just for fun, we don't own property, and the government owns all the businesses and just sends checks to all its citizens. It kind of sounds like an economy plan that a five-year-old would write. Karl Marx is famous for saying, Philosophy must become reality. And his philosophy did become reality. Karl Marx's teachings became the foundation of the Communist Party. In 1917, the Russian Revolution ended with the creation of the Soviet Union, and Karl Marx's theories were put into reality. Two leaders that would really take his theory and make it a reality, Lenin and Stalin. Lenin killed 30,000 people. Stalin killed 7 million people. But the Soviet Union was just getting started. Under communism, at least 20 million people were killed in the Soviet Union. 20 million. They also killed 5 million Ukrainians. But communist China? Way worse. Under Mao Zedong, he killed more than 60 million people. Canada, right now, has a little over 36 million people. So imagine if every single Canadian was killed. That would be around half of the number of people killed just by communist China. And then there's Pol Pot. He killed one out of three Cambodians. That was around 1,700,000 people. Communism killed 1.6 million people in North Korea. We talked about North Korea last week. You can check out last week's episode hear all the joys that communist North Korea has brought to the world. And there's Yugoslavia, 1.2 million people killed by communism. Communism has enslaved entire nations, Russia, North Korea, China, Vietnam, Cuba, Eastern Europe, Central Asia. But maybe you're saying, well, that's communism, right? Socialism is different. No, socialism is the theory. Communism is the action. It's been tried and it's never been successful. Ever. Ever. It's always led to the death of millions of people. But you're thinking, maybe you're saying, what about democratic socialism? That's different, right? Well, let's take a look at Venezuela. That's our most recent example. 
Venezuela used to be a functioning democracy. They were a developing country. They had a, their middle class was growing. They weren't where they should be, but they were definitely moving in the right direction. Then in 1999, Hugo Chavez ran for office. His slogan was hope and change. Where have I heard that before? He said all the right things. He said the people of Venezuela were smart and could be successful, but those evil capitalists were stealing from the workers. He promised he'll only run the country for two years and then he'll give it back to the people. And he won the election and he took over all the businesses with the promise the government would run the businesses better and the money would go to the workers instead of those evil rich owners. And two million people left the country. Basically, all the businesses left and all those evil capitalists left. The workers were happy until all the money ran out and the economy collapsed. And then he refused to step down from office. He jailed anyone who spoke out against him. He took away freedom of the press. In fact, he stayed in office all the way until he died in 2013. And now his vice president runs the country. For people living in Venezuela, there's a little power, hardly any running water. You have to stand in line to get bread and toilet paper. People have actually started eating their pets. Even zoos have been broken into and animals killed and eaten. In fact, in 2016, 75% of the people lost at least 19 pounds because they're all starving. Still, Hugo Chavez is a hero to the left. Hollywood admires him. The social justice warriors, they wear shirts with his picture. His ideas are still shouted and the leftist politicians are still trying to implement his ideas. And Hugo Chavez, he isn't even the only face printed on t-shirts. There's a guy named Shay Juvera. He's another hero. His face is on posters and shirts all across North America. Who was he? Well, he was Castro's chief executioner. Shay and Castro, they brought communism to Cuba and then they murdered and enslaved the people of Cuba. He invented what was called the corrective work camp. And those camps were about as pleasant as they sound. Yeah, those are work camps where you're sent if you disagree with communism. Or listen to rock and roll music or jazz music. That's also against the law. Or men, if you act too feminine, also against the law. Young men who broke these rules, they took them. They threw them into the corrective work camps and put a large sign above the gate that said, work will make a man out of you. I kind of feel like hipsters with those scarves and tight jeans wearing the shirt with Shay's face on it. I kind of feel like they wouldn't fare well in a country run by Shay. Here are some of the things that Shay said. A revolutionary must become a killing machine motivated by hate. Okay. He also said, we must bring the war to the imperialist enemy's very home, to his place of work and recreation. We must never give him a minute of peace or tranquility. This is total war to the death. These are things that Shea said. And people put his face on a shirt and walk around with it. He also said, we must have extremely useful hatred because that turns men into effective, violent, merciless, and cold killing machines. How exactly did this horrible, hate-filled ideology become mainstream in North America. Well, here's what Shea wrote in his diary. This is very interesting. He wrote this in 1958. Propaganda is vital, the heart of our struggle. We can never abandon propaganda. Use a lot of sleight of hand and smile with everyone. 
we must follow the same tactic we employed in our trial. Defend our points of view without raising any hackles. There'll be plenty of time later to crush all the cockroaches. Much more valuable than recruits for our forces were American media recruits to export our propaganda. You see, Shea and communist Cuba actively used the American media to publish their propaganda. It's been the goal of communism and Marxism to use the media as a propaganda tool. And that is perhaps the greatest thing that they've done because it has worked. Under Castro and Che, Cuba became such a horrible country that people fled to America. They went through shark infested waters knowing only two out of three people would survive. They still made the trip because dying in shark infested waters was better than living under Castro and Che. Then Che tried to spread communism to Bolivia and that didn't go well. He was killed on October the 8th, 1967. But it wasn't until 1997 that his body was returned to Cuba. And now they have it in Cuba and it's enshrined. And people love him. Well, they kind of have to love him. If you don't love him, you're arrested and sent to work camp. So they love him. In his memory, a new holiday was invented. Once a week, people work for free as a way to pay tribute to him. And that's not really how holidays work. But I guess in communism, that's a holiday. So Karl Marx's ideas were not good. It really didn't work out well over these last 100 years. I think I would put it in the category of epic fail. When the German wall fell in 1989 and the Soviet Union lost its Iron Curtain, it looked like communism would end. But the ideas of Karl Marx, they keep coming back and now they're taking hold in North America. Why is this? Why is this doctrine showing up in Canada? Compare Nazis to socialists. We all know Nazis are evil. If you saw someone wearing a shirt with Hitler on the front, we wouldn't just say, well, that's just a hipster. That's the way they dress. No, we would not be okay with that. What if someone said, well, you don't understand. Nazis ideas are not really implemented correctly. Uh, that's not a discussion I'm willing to have. In fact, if you want to shut down a conversation, all you have to do is call someone a Nazi. The idea of being a Nazi is so horrifying, people will stop talking just in case they might sound like one. If you want to stop a politician, call him a Nazi. It's the worst thing you can call them. But people will proudly say that they're socialists. Even politicians call themselves socialists. Bernie Sanders, he ran a campaign that could have been written by Karl Marx himself. Why? Why are we rightfully horrified by the six million who died under Nazis, but ignore the hundreds of million who died under communism? It's all about education. The left, the left controls our schools and our media. They paint everything right as extreme and Nazi and everything left as kind and good. The evil dark history of communism, that's never taught. The present evil of communism, that's just ignored. It's up to us to educate ourselves and we have to because especially in Canada, we're on the border of fully embracing this doctrine. A doctrine that always leads to death and destruction. Look here in Ontario, this idea of the $15 minimum wage. This is a concept that's being pushed across Canada and the US 
by the social justice and the Antifa groups. Does the idea of the mean, rich business owner sound familiar? How about the idea of we're all here for the workers? Last week on the podcast, I talked about the Tim Horton story. People calling for boycotts because the owners are trying to make a profit, even though they have this new extra cost of minimum wage. Here's a few numbers to think about. $2.40. That's the jump in minimum wage in Ontario. And it's set to go up another dollar in 2019. So I hear people say, those rich Tim Hortons owners, they can afford that. How selfish of them to care about $2.40. That's nothing. Well, here's another number for you. $243,889.10. Listen to that again. $243,889.10. That's how much the increase will cost the average Tim Hortons franchisee. Listen to the people who are defending this. Everything they say comes from Marxism. Equal pay for workers and owners. Our premier even called the owners bullies. Every job should be a living wage job. No one job should be valued more than another job. This is all Marxism. Society has accepted this theory of Marxism. The next step is implementing it. And that step never goes well for the citizens. But you know what? It's not just society that's accepted this. Our churches have swallowed this socialist doctrine. And it's easy to do because it comes with nice words. Very, very bad actions, but really nice words. We should share. We should care about the poor. People should feel rewarded in their work. All people should be equal. That sounds really, really nice. But as soon as we put it into action, it stops being nice. We should share means there's no private property. You own nothing. It all belongs to the group. We should care about the poor. Usually turns into everybody being poor. People should feel rewarded in their work turns into it's your boss's job to make you happy. No, no, it's literally your job to make your boss happy. That's how that works. Everyone should be equal sounds great until it means that the greatest engineer makes the same amount of money as the kid getting your donuts. So how does a Christian respond to this? I am told so often, I have to be a socialist because I'm a Christian and socialism is kind and Christians should be kind. So I have to be a socialist. You know what? I don't think it's kind to kill millions of people. It's also not kind to forget about the millions that were killed and ignore their part of history. But look away from history and just look at my life. What does the Bible say? Doesn't the Bible say I should give to the poor? I should take care of widows and orphans? Yes. It does. It tells me as an individual that I should do that. It does not tell me I should forcibly take your money and give it to the poor. It doesn't say that I should vote to have your money and your property taken away and given to widows and orphans. It says I should do that. And I do. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that when I do that, God blesses me. But if the government forcibly takes my money and property and gives it away, then I didn't do that. The blessing is not on me. And also, history shows that when governments do this, they tend to keep most of it for themselves. There are more poor people, more widows, and more orphans in communist countries than there are in capitalist countries. It's not my job to make your life better. 
That's your job. If it was my job to make your life better, that wouldn't be good for you because I wouldn't do as good a job as you would at running your life. If you don't like your life, stop blaming others, get up and do something about it. Because in a capitalist country, you can do that. And the same verses that tell you to care for widows, the Bible is very clear that if a widow is young enough to take care of herself or to marry again, you're not to care for her. She's supposed to take care of herself. Because when we care for people who are capable of caring for themselves, we're not showing kindness. We're enabling bad behavior. First Timothy chapter 5 lays all this out. We're supposed to care for widows unless the widow has family, then the family should take care of her. Also, we should care for widows over the age of 60. If they're younger, they should take care of themselves. Here's some other verses in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 10, verse four says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That doesn't sound like socialism to me. How about Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23? In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends to poverty. That doesn't sound like Marx's idea at all. Socialism is like a drug. At first it feels really good, but it's going to lead to dependency, a ruined life and death. It's not kind and it's not Christ-like. Really, it's all about government control. And you know what? Speaking about government control, we're going to jump to a next story. Our liberal government is stepping way out of bounds on a very important issue. The liberal government has made some significant changes to the summer grant program. You are no longer eligible for the summer grant program if you are pro-life. What? Okay, so let's break this down. First of all, what is the summer grant program? Okay, summer grant program is a government program that gives grants to organizations that are hiring students for the summer. Camps, churches, community centers, all of these use this program as a way to give jobs to students. This year, Trudeau added a new rule. For the 2018 program, any organization that requests funding for a job must attest that both the job and the organization's core mandate respect individual human rights in Canada, including the values underlined in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as well as other rights. Okay, I read that. I'm good with that. That makes sense. But then they add this sentence. Human rights that applicants must endorse include reproductive rights, such as the right to access safe and legal abortion. So we need to break this down. First, abortion is not a constitutional right. Here's the history. We have to go all the way back to Trudeau's dad. Pierre Trudeau famously said the government has no right in the bedrooms of the nation. Okay, I first hear that, I agree with that. Unless you're killing someone in your bedroom or raping someone in your bedroom or selling drugs in your bedroom or really breaking any laws in your bedroom. Really, that's a stupid sentence. That doesn't make any sense. But with this sentence, he brought in a change to the criminal code. In 1967, a bill was introduced that made abortion, divorce, and birth control all legal. This was all put in the same bill on purpose. So if an MP wanted divorce legal, he had to be okay with abortion. So the bill was passed. But abortion was not completely legal. It was only legal 
if the mother's health was at risk. But what was meant by health was really vague and was really questionable. So Trudeau set up abortion committees in hospitals. Real thing. Women had to go see the committee and ask for an abortion and then the committee decided. I'm pro-life and even I can see that that's horrible and full of a lot of problems. So some committees said yes to every single abortion. Others said no to every single abortion. So the law was really unclear. Then in 1988, the Supreme Court struck down the law for the reasons that I just said. Not because the Supreme Court wanted abortion to be legal, not because the right to have an abortion was fought out in court, but because the committees were a mess. The Supreme Court said Parliament must create a new bill. The Prime Minister at the time was Mulroney. He set up a committee of all parties and then he introduced a new bill, Bill C-43. This new bill said abortion was illegal, against the law, a crime, can't happen. Are you getting this? This new bill said abortion was illegal unless the doctor said it was necessary for the health of the mother. The new bill passed the House and went to the Senate. Now the pro-abortion senators, they wanted abortion to be legal, so they refused to vote for it. The pro-life senators, they wanted a clearer statement. What exactly do you mean by the health of the mother? It was too vague and it was going to put them in the same situation they were in before. So they both voted it down. Mulroney warned, if you vote it down, I will not create another bill. And he didn't. That meant that in Canada there was no bill. And therefore, abortion was not in the criminal code at all. That means in Canada, you can get an abortion at any point during the nine months for any reason at all, legally. There are three countries in the world where you can have an abortion at all nine months. China, North Korea, Canada. Abortion was never made a constitutional right. The court ruling in 1988 did not guarantee unrestricted access to abortion in Canada. That's not what the court ruling was about. No court, no parliament ever made abortion legal in Canada. It simply slipped in by a lack of a law. Abortion is not a constitutional right, but let me tell you what is. Freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. The Liberal government is free to believe that abortion is a human right, but I am free to believe it is not a human right. To show this more clearly, look at this. The Conservative Party has in its platform that they are a pro-life party. So what does that mean? Well, Justin Trudeau tried to walk it back. He said, we're not going to stop religious organizations who want to use this program. Just go ahead and check the box. The government's not going to look into it to see if it's the truth or not. So his advice to churches is to just lie. Mm, clearly, Trudeau hasn't been to church in a while. Because, yeah, we're against lying. That's also a sin. Last Thursday, the Right to Life Association filed a lawsuit against the government. As pro-life people, we need to stand behind them. But you know what? Pro-choice people, if they're actually pro-choice, and believe people should be allowed the right to believe abortion is wrong, they should be allowed to have the choice to believe that abortion is wrong, they should stand against that lawsuit as well. I don't think the pro-choice movement will stand behind it because, in all honesty, they're really not pro-choice at all.
If you're interested in learning more about this topic of abortion, maybe you want to be equipped so you can have conversations about life. One of the talks that I give is on abortion and how to be equipped to have that conversation with your friends and your family. Check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. And now I'm going to touch on the last story. I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but it was in the Canadian news a lot and actually even in some of the world news. So I'm just going to touch on it briefly. Last week, an 11-year-old girl, and I'm not going to use her name out of respect, came to school and said a man had attacked her with scissors and cut her hijab. That same day, a news conference was held at her school where she stood before reporters and told her story with her mom standing next to her. And right there is a problem. I have an 11-year-old daughter. If she came to me and told me a man had cut her clothing with scissors, I would freak out. There is no way her name or picture would be anywhere on the news. For sure, what I would not do is have her stand in front of a bunch of reporters so she could tell her story. What in the world? For one thing, the attacker was still on the loose, so now he knows her name and knows what her mom and brother look like, not to mention where she goes to school. Everyone, everyone was quick to call out this act as horrible and hate-filled. Our Prime Minister Trudeau even mentioned her and stood with her all in the same day. And then the story fell apart. It didn't happen. It was made up. Now, like I said, I have an 11-year-old daughter. Kids make things up. That's not really the huge problem I have with the story. It seems like the media, the school board, our prime minister, it's like they want Canada to be a racist, hate-filled country. They want Canada to be filled with violence so that they can pass laws that won't allow us to speak freely against religions. Okay. I'll show you what I mean. Prime Minister showed how he feels about Canada when he replied after realizing the whole thing was a hoax. Here's what he said. Unfortunately, we have seen a pattern over the past uh, months of increased hate crimes against um, religious minorities, particularly uh, against uh, young women uh, of religious backgrounds. We need to take this very, very, very seriously. This is not true. Canada does not have many hate crimes against young Muslim girls. We just don't. Then the media wrote that they're afraid that this whole hoax is going to create a backlash against the Muslim community. It's not because that's not Canada. Here are some actual stats. The number of hate crimes against Muslims in Canada two years ago was 159 all across Canada and then it dropped to 130 so it's going down and the number is fairly small however the hate crime against Jews went from 178 up to 221 so hate crimes against Jews is on the rise and crimes against Muslims is on the decline of course, all crimes are wrong. And as Christians, we have to stand against all hate. But we also have to stand for truth because truth matters. How do we look at the story as a Christian? Well, first of all, you show some grace to the 11 year old because she's 11. And then you stand for truth because truth has to matter. And what exactly is the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. 
The truth is that all of us have lied, just like that little girl did. We've all lied. We've all sinned. It's part of our sinful nature. And that sin, it separates us from God. But God, in his love and his mercy, he came to earth as Jesus Christ and took the punishment for our sins. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the truth. When you admit that truth, that you're a sinner, when you believe that Jesus is the truth, the way, the life, and the only way to heaven, when you call out to him and ask him to save you, he will. And that's the truth. I'm Loralee Siemens. Check out my website at loraleesiemens.com. That's L-O-R-E-L-E-E, loraleesiemens.com. See you next Thursday.